let's do this. Uh, we, we'll just go ahead and start. We are we did start the room early. I want to make sure we get all the technical stuff out of the way, but we are currently sitting in uh, one of Christian's ADUs at the moment, and so. Um, but we'll just we'll just say we'll just say go. What was that? Uh, yeah, it's going both ways. Yeah, it should be good to go. Uh, and then start, and then we can I can edit it and post. But uh, um, episode fifteen, I'll start there. Um, so we we should be we should be live. We we're, we I think we'll have a couple people call in or call linking in to listen who have been talking through today. But um, episode fifteen, booking confirmed for all those who have not joined us. Dennis and Christian are here, uh, and we have a, a special guest and our first guest to actually call in on the show, uh, Mr. Bronson. Bronson, you want to say hello to the to the Booking Confirmed audience real fast? Hey, yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm super excited to be here, uh, talk a little bit about Airbnb and short-term rental and anything you guys want. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a, a first on a few different levels. I was trying to figure out how to introduce you because uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of backstory for the audience I was booking a trip in uh, in Arizona around the Mesa area, and I actually uh, booked one of Bronson's uh, units, and it looked great, very much um, boho style. My wife loved it, and then turns out it wasn't ready. I mean, you can give more of the backstory, but uh, I didn't see the, the outreach to cancel it. Um, but Bronson, you actually called me directly as a host and wanted to talk it through and make sure I saw the alerts to make sure kind of, I, I felt good about what was going on. Um, is that listing up and running now? Yes. Yes, it is. And as you know, it can be difficult sometimes when you have, uh, conflicts or, or maybe reasons why, uh, you might have to cancel. And this was one of those odd out scenarios where we did need to cancel and yeah. I decided to reach out to you. Uh, personally to handle that. And um, luckily you were super understanding Dennis. And so that led us to where we are right now. And um, you know, those things do happen in the industry and, and sometimes you just try to handle it the most professional that you can. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I thought you did a great job, which is why I asked probing questions about who are you and what do you do? And so I think they, the, what I came up with is you're a, you're a short-term rental management, um, mogul and also property tech knowledgeist entrepreneur entrepreneurs does that does that properly encapsulate who you are (laughs) yeah i think that that's a pretty good description um we do property management for short-term rentals and um you know we manage a lot of higher end listings um we have a lot of clients who are investors or out-of-state property owners and um, essentially, we we run these uh, investment properties for sure. them as vacation rentals to generate revenue, and um, they they do um, you know healthy revenue uh, in comparison to maybe a long longer term rental. So that's a little bit about what we do. And um, yeah, as you said, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, my background's in real estate and in tech, so I love a lot of those categories. And I'm sure we'll have lots of interesting things to talk about. Yeah, this is our, our third actually our third attempt at getting the, an episode together with you. We had some scheduling conflicts, uh, but super excited to uh, to have you on. Uh, and also, you know, you're you're the first one to call in to the call in app, which we record on. So we're we're breaking new grounds for ourselves. 
but uh, the, the, as we get going, the name of your your company is called what? Loma Stay, and we're Loma located Stay. right here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And you're and you're found in your your base and founded in uh, in Arizona. So. Um, That's so I right. know that we, we had a pre-call with, uh, with Christian and, and you and myself, I think a week and a half ago, we definitely want to get into your background, but, but, um, Christian, what are, you have any, any opening thoughts? Yeah, I think a great place to start would just be, I mean, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, Dennis and I were really impressed with about you, Bronson is just kind of your story of how you got into the business. And I think it's just a really neat thing for any, you know, young um, entrepreneur, um, you know, somebody who's in their, you know, teens or twenties, you know, even, even early thirties listening that is, you know, just kind of starting out and just to hear a little bit about your story about, about, about how you got from, you know, point A to point B in that. So yeah, just, just start with the beginning, man. Tell us, you know, how, how'd you get into real estate? Yeah, I got into real estate when I was 20, um, still in college and, um, needed a way to, to generate some more income for myself and um, all the books I'd read and people I'd listened to all talk about real estate. So it seemed like a pretty um, paved path for me to just get into real estate when I did. And I went and got my license um, and then started uh, working as an agent in the residential sector. Um, and my goal was that I could, you know, make money, pay my way through college and buy a house. And that was, um, you know, my main focus uh, for a little bit there. And after a couple of years, I was able to buy my first house um, here in Arizona. And that was a game changer for me. Um, I saw, I saw the what it did for people who who owned homes and were able to pay down a mortgage and, instead of paying rent, which is most people's uh, number one monthly expense. So that's what I did. And uh, I was fortunate. I had some roommates move in with me and that covered my mortgage payment. So I lived in that house for about three and a half years and uh, then was able to sell it and um, doubled my money from um, what I bought the house for. And that was obviously something that I hoped for, but didn't necessarily plan for. Um, but that really just led me into other waters and gave me other opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise have had. How, how old are you now and what years did you get your license and what year did you buy your first property? So I am 28 now and I would have gotten my license 2015, 2016 and uh, then bought my house a couple years after that. Um, and then um, which I held that for about three and a half years. Uh, so I sold that a couple of years ago now and, um, yeah, that's kind of been what, what was, uh, what allowed me to start to do other things, um, like start my own company, my own business. Um, I've traversed into commercial real estate as well. So I love, you know, kind of all aspects of real estate. I've dabbled in kind of a lot of different areas. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been my timeline of things. So, you know, still, still young, but the path that I took, um, was something that was explained to me, but I don't feel like it was necessarily obvious um, that you could get your real estate license and then use your license to buy your first house. And that was kind of a, a life hack that I used um, 
that I, that I would love other people to know about because it's something that everybody can do no matter where you start or, or what kind of upbringing you might've had. Dive into that a little bit, Bronson, just, just go Mm -hmm. numbers on that. Okay. Yeah. So the way the numbers work out on, um, let's talk about first, first home, right? So you have uh, FHA, and, and this is irregardless of interest rates. Interest rates is just the, the topic on hand right now that people um, uh, like to worry about because they're high, but that changes, right? So the most important thing is that you're not spending 30 40% of your monthly income on, on your housing expense, which is rent for most people, right? So if we can get you out of that place and get you into a place where you are paying down and a mortgage on an asset that can appreciate, uh, now you're growing with the market, right? So I did a three and a half percent FHA loan, which is available to all first time home buyers. Um, the only loan program that's better than that is if, uh, is if you qualify for VA, right? So it's pretty great if you got the three and a half percent down, but what most people don't um, utilize is the fact that you can go get your real estate license and most commissions um, on on a real estate transaction for the buyer agent is around 3%. So you can buy uh, your own first house and be your own agent buyer and the seller will pay you 3% of the purchase price to buy your own house. <laughs> and then the, the bank asks for 3.5%, right? So I ended up doing that and only putting down half a percent. Wow. Yeah. And, and did you already know about house hacking and was it your intention with your first purchase to immediately uh, have people move in to pay your mortgage? I love that term house hacking. I guess I didn't really know um, that that was a thing, but I I guess a lot of it too is what people uh, propagate as this, how to get rich you know, um, schemes or programs. And I, I hated all of those. They just, there were a lot of scams out there. So I didn't know that there was something concrete, something that actually worked. And so, yeah, I guess, uh, I didn't at the time, but my goal was to have people move in and and live in the house. Right. So, um, to be a landlord, to be an investor, but my main goal was to cover my own housing costs. Cause I was like, you know, paying, I think at the time, uh, six or $700 a month. And, uh, you know, I wasn't making that much, um, outside of that. So I really felt as if I could cover that $700 and even make a couple hundred dollars extra, I was going to be doing great. Yeah. And, um, so that was my goal. And, and then I kind of just, um, worked out how to achieve that goal. And it was the, the 3% commission that ended up, um, really qualifying me to be able to make, um, that early investment without having too much income at that time. And your and to get your license, I think you said uh, it cost you right around a thousand dollars to get your real estate license. Is that right? That's right. And I think that it can be cheaper. Um, yeah. I didn't necessarily go the um, inexpensive route, but there is a lot of uh, fees and things involved uh, depending on where you're getting licensed. So all in, it did cost me about a thousand. So a thousand dollars. I'm just doing some simple math here. A thousand dollars for real estate license. You made 3% off of the purchase of your own home. You had to put down a half a percent. How much is that half a percent worth, you think? That's a great question. So half a percent on this house would have been about, um, let me do the math. 
Is are you still current? No, you said you sold it, so it would have been your right. So I think it was about um, two thousand dollars or something like that. Um, and then you have to account for closing costs, which is around one percent. Yep. Um, and the reason why, um, I, you know, I'm doing the math on that right now is because I did one more house hack to use your terminology there that actually made it so I didn't put down any money for uh, the down payment. And not to make it more complicated, but if you're interested in this, this was the next thing that I did was I knew that I had to cover that half percent. Now at the time I had um, some money put aside for that half percent. However, I knew that I needed to do some improvements on the house to make it livable for these roommates, right? So I had make I had kind of made promises to these uh, friends of mine saying, hey, if you move in, um, I'm going to do X and X, Y, and Z to make the house livable. And they said, okay, if you do those things, we'll live there, right? So I, I only had a, a limited budget to do both the half percent down payment and do the repairs. So what I did was I, in my um, my Binzer, right? So we had our, our buyer inspection come through and I requested from the seller to do a list of fixes to the property before we uh, closed on it. And uh, if I remember right, I think it was, it was less than a thousand dollars worth of, of repairs that I was asking of the, the seller. But I, I added a, um, another stipulation where I said, or instead of doing these repairs, you could do me this favor. And I said, I want to increase the purchase price by, I think it was, um, three or $4,000. Okay. And instead, so instead of the purchase price being two, um, two ninety five, it'll be, you know, two, uh, it'll be closer to 300,000, right? I think we were just below that. Um, and instead give me an extra point on my commission, right? Sure. So I said, take 1% essentially of the purchase price and put it on to the, the close of the house, which I was going to bundle into my loan and then give me an extra point on my commission. So instead of 3%, it'll be 4%. Now that gave me uh, an extra half a percent to walk away with in, in my commission payout instead of me having to come out of pocket for that half a percent. So I borrowed from my future self over 30 years, which I think increased my monthly payment by like $17. Yeah. So now I, I ended up, he, he was a broker. Fortunately, I don't think that this would have worked in every scenario, but it was just so that he happened to be a, a real estate broker and he knew what I was doing. He knew that I was a first time home buyer and it was of no net loss to him. It was just a little bit of a workaround and re a real estate allows for this kind of creativity. So he gladly accepted uh, I waived the repairs that I was asking for, uh, since he was, he was helping me out with this, with this, uh, maneuver that I was doing. And I ended up, uh, cashing out net positive. I think, uh, it was almost $4,000 I walked away with on the close of the house. So I did not come out of pocket even $1. I actually made money on it and then used that extra, uh, little nugget that I made from the close on my commission to do those house repairs along with the little bit that I had put aside to do, to do them anyway. Love it, man. I, I, yeah, it's, it's killer. Did, did you just 
see that equation? Did you just did you just figure that out? Did you have an advisor? Do you come from a long line of real estate agents or entrepreneurs? Like, how how do you how do you get to that point? How do you see that option? Because I don't think most people are thinking that creatively around even our our real estate agent friends. I haven't heard attempt this. Yeah, especially on your first one. You know, I mean, I, I see people get a lot more creative later on, but this is your first go round, and you're you're getting really creative. Yeah, where where did some of that come from? Well, the um, that's a good question. I, I did have some great mentors um, who helped me when when I first got my license. So they were helping me get on my feet as a real estate agent. And one of them ended up buying a, a, another property and representing himself. And I kind of asked in like an excited moment, you know, what happens with that commission if you're representing yourself? And he said, oh, well, I get it. And it wasn't a big deal to him. But to me, it was like a game changer because I yeah. knew that that lowered the bar of entry for me to to make the, the down payment. And I asked him if I could do the same thing. And it's funny because real estate is this, um, it's this really creative industry where you can do a lot of uh, creative financing and, and ideas like this. You could... You could um, negotiate almost anything in a real estate deal, right? And so I didn't know that that was, um, it seemed almost like a magic trick. Um, but when I sat down and worked the numbers with the mentor that I had, uh, you know, he confirmed everything. And then it was when we got into the uh, buyer inspection portion of the close that I just decided to put it in the contract or just put it in the um, the binzer that we were sending over to just see if maybe he would go for it. It was a, it was a last minute idea that I had um, and he took it and, um, and even through the seller agent said, you know, he kind of understands what you're doing and he thinks it's a good idea. And so he's going to, you know, going to allow it or whatever. Um, so that's kind of just cool. I just tried something and it worked. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really cool. And so it sounds like, because most people think of their first home that they're buying as a really, really, really big deal, uh, potentially a lot of stress around it. Um, they use a lot of their savings to get into it. It's not cash positive once they're in it. So you're thinking of it as a percent and it has time. It sounds like break even including your real estate license by the commission's of your first deal, you had renters lined up to pay your mortgage. So it didn't cost you any money out of pocket to buy the house or to maintain the mortgage and or upkeep. And you, how long did you own that first house for? Three and a half years, right around there. And then you doubled. Yeah. You, and it you, really you was, your it was a break even. And I, and I almost doubled my money to the exact dollar amount. Um, yeah. And, and just, to point out, it w didn't seem like a great idea at the time um, because I was just breaking even, right? And so it was, there was risk involved because you have to think, well, what happens if um, all my roommates move out, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to, you know, essentially be able to cover this mortgage payment. So um, there was that piece of it. I was getting into it really early compared to a lot of, um, friends my age, but the payoff was that it did appreciate, right? And I wouldn't have had that, um, I wouldn't have been able to participate in the market uh, appreciation if I wouldn't have done that. Um, so, you know, it did it did uh, go up in value and you get all the wrong advice when you're, when you're doing this. Um, 
Obviously, yeah. you know, trust maybe your parents and, you know, people that have your best interest in mind, but you will get a lot of people almost telling you, uh, that it's the wrong time to do what you're trying to do because I certainly did. Everybody at the time told me that the market was super high and that it was, it was inflated. Um, I didn't think so based upon the area that I was buying in. So I really took a chance on, on my, um, what I thought at the time. Yeah. But then when I was going to getting ready to sell, people were also telling me not to sell because they said, you know, well, it's going to keep going up. Right. But I remember that I'm, I'm old enough to remember my parents going through 08 and there was some time frame, um, right before the market crash when people were saying that. And yep. I remember thinking, I don't want to be that person either. Um, and so you know, pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. And I'm really happy with maybe the, uh, the price, the offer that I got for the house yep. and I sold it and I sold it to um, a large uh, company that was acquiring uh, a lot of houses in the area. And later on I checked the MLS and they actually um, had to sell it at a loss. So I sold right at the right time, yep. but I didn't get that advice. I didn't, yep. I had to try. By yep. the way, just, just a pause here. Great. I, I love that Maxim. It's great. Um, classic business. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Hogs get slaughtered, right? Uh, Maxims are a favorite of mine. Yeah, me and, and my wife Holly last yeah. night in bed, we were just going through every maxim that we said mm -hmm. in life, like trying to think through. Like, yeah. there's so many that you actually say that you don't realize. You say, yeah, for sure. Um, and you say them all the time. Then if you actually just read through a list, you're like, oh wow, I say that, I say that, I say that. I say yeah, that. but pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered mm -hmm. is a favorite. It, yeah, it it is really good. So, there's, there's a lot there uh, on, on, I mean, not, I guess on that note, um, no, knowing when to, knowing when to execute, uh, you know, there's strategy and there's execution, knowing when, whether it's a, a job, whether it's an investment, knowing when to leave a party is a, a very unique skill set that not everyone has. You can be a great money guy. You can be a great starter, but if you don't know when the top is or relatively when the top, top mm -hmm. to exit out. Um, you know, you, you actually, it's a key component to leveling up both personally, financially, relationship wise, like people that don't, that do it well, they're all, they're always in margin and the people that don't well are always in debt. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's a really good point and, and, and something that, that this, this topic I think is really interesting, um, around timing. Um, and, and, and when people talk about timing, they often think about timing the market, which, that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, there is no timing the market. Um, you know, like you said, Bronson, some people in your life were saying, this is a great investment opportunity. And other people were like, the market's too hard. It's going down, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I don't even know, you know, I, I guess it could have gone wrong a hundred different ways. And it, and it sometimes does. But if you just trust yourself, then you're the only one that, can be blamed and that's those are grounds for improvement right where if i trust somebody else i almost can't improve on that after the fact other than i should have trusted myself <laughs> so i'd rather it go wrong and and have myself to to fall back on than it, it, than you know take other people's advice on it too, you know and, and i think it's a skill set and i think it's something that and this is where 
I try to really push to this audience. Like this is, this is about educating yourself. Yeah. Like you're right, Bronson. It is, it is a call you have to make and you know, you're going to live and die by your own sword, yep. you know? And um, we're just throwing, we're going to throw out as many maxims I mean, in this I podcast mean, I mean, as possible. I was going to say, that's, that's literally why I cut my own hair. <laughs> I do. I have for 15 years, but that's why I only want to be mad at myself. Right. But, but the idea is that like, y- y- there's so many ways to get an, an edge mm-hmm. in this market. You know, you educated yourself and you learned about some of these different hacks. Well, if I represent myself in this deal, I can make 3% in it. I can do some creative um, negotiating with the seller and get an extra point, but give him a kickback. Um, And then when it comes to timing the market, it's like, hey, if I know what's going on in my market, if I'm following, um, you know, the stats, the trends, you know, listening to different people that have different opinions, and then ultimately coming to your own conclusions, you're not going to be right all the time. But the more work you do, the more experience you have, you know, more, more than, more than if you're right, more than not, then you're going to be, end up in a big, good situation. And, and you'll, and you'll be able to live with yourself too, right? At the end of the day, I may have not hit a home run, but I'm pleased with the double that I did hit. And that's a nice one. I mean, that's another one. Like I really like that kind of my policy in real estate is, is swing for doubles. And if you can get it inside the home park, home run, yep. run it out, Yep. but don't swing for the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because if you swing for the fence, you might strike out. But if you swing for doubles, you can hit solid doubles. Yeah. You know, like take your returns, mm-hmm. take your money off the table, level up into the next deal, yeah. and then you live to fight another day as opposed to, well, I'm either, I'm either, it's either going to go huge or I'm going to go broke. What also, and Bronson, I, I want your take on this. We, we talk a lot about your, your having a buy box, understanding mm-hmm. what your values are, what you're looking for, not just from a location standpoint, but from a purpose building standpoint, and also convertibility standpoint of the assets and the housing and um, the properties that you buy. But going for doubles, solid singles and, and doubles allows you to iterate your buy box and improve your buy box over time, as opposed to if you only have a certain amount of money and you can only make one bet versus eight bets or 10 bets, you're, you're diversifying your risk. Now, you're, you might have not have the same upside as if you have a big bet and hit a home run. That being said, from, a, from an investment strategy, you are diversified, which does create long-term safety. But talk, do, do, you, do, you, do you understand the term buy box? And do you have your own personal buy box that you could share with the audience? Yeah. Well, I love a lot of what you just said. And I do. And I think that that's changed um, significantly since that first decision, right? This was a, this was a, the, the first uh, house that I bought, I had a very small buy box, right? And I had to make a, a very calculated gamified decision um, where I essentially weighed out as many um, variables as I possibly could um, within my risk tolerance to do that. But I also knew I needed to start. Right. And I saw that fear kept a lot of people still keeps a lot of people from making their first acquisition or or maybe investment in general. So at first I really was conservative. And um, I think that especially without the experience portion of it, I had to do what made sense to me. And until it made sense to me, I wasn't willing to try something out. And um and then as I kind of progressed now, I'm willing to make 
um, I, I give, I've given myself a little bit more latitude, um, continually to try things, but I still have to meet that same criteria where it has to make sense to me. Uh, cause going back to what we said, it's almost like, how can you predict what's going to happen? Well, you can't, right? Like if Warren Buffett can't, I certainly can't. So I think that I have to be able to at least have a, uh, an idea, uh, a strategy in mind. And then by acting out that strategy and then measuring the result, I can come back and, and evaluate either what went wrong or what went right. And it's more often that things go wrong that when something goes right, finally, it's, it's, uh, it's almost expected because I'm like, well, it's because I didn't do all the things that have gone wrong before. <laughs> so I guess that kind of gives a little bit of, um, idea of kind of what my philosophy is now, but I'm interested kind of what, um, um, I don't know, like, I think I do a little bit less in real estate investing now and I've, and I've, uh, pivoted a little bit more to, to business and how to scale businesses. But real estate was a very uh, crucial first step in that process for me. So, yeah, I, I do want to get to the, to the business slash tech portion too of what you do. Um, uh, but before we do that, I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't know if you you would have considered yourself in college a more pro risk or risk averse person relative to your peers, but you just mentioned that you still see a lot of people that are are paralyzed by the idea of risk or the fear of the unknown or the variables, and they don't move forward or figure out a way to get into into the game. There's a lot of people on the sidelines, not in the game, watching the game happen. Um, uh, sitting here, you know, Christian and I are ten years older than you, and we just got in the game like five years ago, it seems like you are, are, you've gotten, you've gotten pretty far for 28. And I don't, I don't, we don't, we don't talk to a lot of 28 year olds that are where you're at, which is managing a, a management portfolio of upwards to 30 properties um, and having multiple businesses. Like from a generational standpoint, what do you think makes you unique? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, for, for, that's my question. My question is like, yeah, I don't, did, did you, did uh, were other people in college getting their real estate licenses and and what you know what makes you different from the other of your peers you're the average 28 year old out there you think that it might be listening to this podcast right now well i don't i don't know exactly i'm not um i don't think it's necessarily anything different but maybe as you said just getting started a little bit earlier um i just didn't want to be um uh, I didn't want to be later in life and feel trapped. And so um, in some way, I thought that um, real estate would be maybe the best frontier for me, at least getting started. And, and, I, and I feel like what I've noticed with a lot of my peers is that they are afraid. Um, they don't necessarily admit it, but around conversations like taking risks, and buying real estate, they, they are not strategizing and they're not interested in, in doing that. And some of them don't believe that they can, which I feel like is almost a more limiting belief because you absolutely can. You could have, anybody could have done what, what my strategy was for real estate, uh, for my first deal. Anybody could have done that, um, if they were willing to go out and get their license. So, yeah. yeah. Out of curiosity, what were your other job prospects besides getting a real estate license? Well, I went to school for business law and I knew I wanted to do business. Um, 
and I really like law in general. Um, as for job prospects, I think that I wasn't as interested in um, working my way up on something. It didn't make sense if I could start something small and then grow it into something maybe a little bit larger. I was m way more geared to do something like that. And I knew that that meant, here was my philosophy. I knew that that meant I was going to have to spend about seven years failing before I was going to start to see success. And I decided, well, I can start now or I can start, you know, later on down the line when I start to get dissatisfied with where I'm at and that my progress is not up to me. It's up to, um, you know, my boss or manager or the company that I'm at. And I didn't, I didn't want to be trapped in that realm. So I decided that I was going to start now and I was going to fail really hard for seven years actively trying to solve through solve problems and get better. And that's been my approach. So, you know, I think that that failure is, is, um, intimidating because you don't look like you're succeeding because the progress hasn't hit yet. So you have to like yeah. almost look like you're behind when you really know that this is what it takes. Right. And nobody, nobody realistically beats that philosophy. Um, we like to look at examples of guys and, and girls who do, but they're, they're the lottery winners. They're not realistic expectations of what it is, right? Like nobody, nobody really goes out looking for gold and hits it on their first time. It's just the stories that you hear about that creates that illusion. It's much more likely that you'll get there by working really hard, uh, getting through a lot of obstacles and, you know, taking that pain and increasing that pain tolerance until maybe you do start to see success. It, the, uh, the maxim is, uh, progress, not perfection at this point in the, uh, the episode, um, <laughs> that that's, that's what comes to mind. And, um, yeah. so yeah, it is, and, and we also talk a lot on the podcast about setting the proper expectations. Oftentimes that's for guests, but it's also for ourselves. And so what you just described is mm -hmm. your expectation for yourself was I'm going to fail 70% of the time for the next seven years and you're going to be okay with that. And so it sounds mm -hmm. like you had a very healthy view of failure, which probably sets you apart as well. I want the next, the next thing I want to talk about is when, when did the transition happen between you having one house to you having, to you coming to a point where you were going to start a management company and what was that process like? Well, I had had, um, a couple of properties of my own that I converted over to short-term rentals. So I had had, um, that experience of trying out Airbnb and at the time I really liked what Airbnb had to offer. I liked that you were going to make more money, but also your property was well taken care of. Cause that was an experience that I had with having, um, renter roommates and uh, being a landlord was the property is just, just constantly getting worn down. And I didn't like that after all that it takes, you know, at a small scale, uh, at, at a early level, all that it takes to maybe achieve home ownership. I didn't like the feeling of having my asset beat up, even if that asset was, you know, you know, wasn't the nicest house yet. I still wanted it to be taken care of. So that's where I was like, I really wanted to try Airbnb. And then I loved it. 
But the problem was just like uh, how we think, right, is once you get a system in place, you want to automate it and you want to be able to have it uh, running on its own. So then that was the next step for me was look for a manager, a management company that would take care of the, the house like I would take care of it. Um, and then I saw a need in the market. Right. So then I was thinking, OK, well, I can't find a good management company. Uh, nobody seems to um, uh, really have the level of professionalism that I want. And I did a little bit of probing and found some clients that also had a similar need, a manager for their short-term rental. And I decided that there was a need in this space. And so I turned it into a full-time thing. And um, that was uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, and we've seen a lot of growth since then. So you were, you were an owner and operator of your own properties for how many years? Um, probably about four or five years now. And then you, Maybe, you've, had, yeah. you have a, you've had the company for a year and a half, you said, and, and it's called, yeah. it's called Lomi Stay. Does Lomi Stay mean anything significant? You know, it's, it's like a random word that I made up. So Loma Stay, uh, L-O-M-A-S-T-A-Y. And um, I love coming up with names of businesses um, because it becomes, you know, it, it's like all the hope of, of a, becoming a brand one day. And so you want to choose it well and you want it to sound good. And there's a whole bunch of philosophy that goes into naming a good company, right? So I just decided that I wanted it to have the word stay in there because it sounded Airbnb-ish. And then I found a word um, from another language that I liked and it sounded warm and inviting. And most importantly, the domain was available. Yeah, there you go. That's true. Uh, it, it helps. Always, always. Um, very, very cool. Talk to us about this, the scaling out the last 18 months. You said you've had Lomi stay for 18 months and mm -hmm. uh, you don't seem like you are um, lacking for for customers. Talk, talk to us about how it's scaled. Sure. Um, can you still hear me okay? I just want to make sure. What's that? I've got good audio. Can you still hear me okay? I can hear you. Um, particularly focus on the okay. scaling process. Cause can you hear us? Yep. Okay. Um, particularly focus on scaling because, you know, in the same way, you know, as an owner operator, it's big jumps, you know, one to two, two to four, four to eight. There's, 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 there's a number of challenges that come with adding units. You know, what were some of those challenges for you as a property manager, as you made some of those similar um, jumps in, in, in units under management? Oh yeah. Great question. Um, it took a while and it was exponential and, and I feel like we're, it's just now getting to the point where Loma stay is now, um, growing on its own and we've achieved market share. So now we're, we're at a much different place than we were, um, even a year ago. So when I first got started, right, um, I had a, a couple under my belt and my goal was to get clients um, that um, that needed what, what I was offering, but at 
uh, a price that would help us scale. So I, I had a business model back then that I had to change because it wasn't really working. We had a, a flat rate business model, which to me sounded good because I was saying, well, we'll charge each of our customers, you know, 600 to $800 a month. And we will manage all of, uh, all of what entails a short-term rental. And it sounded like a great deal to me. Um, but what seemed to be holding us back was people didn't like the idea of us, um, getting a guaranteed payout independent of what they were going to make. So it became an expense instead of a solution. And that kind of held us back a little bit. So it took, you know, we got a few, a few of our early clients, but we were hovering um, between five and 10 clients for quite a while, right? And then there's all these uh, systems and procedures that need to be implemented to make sure that a short-term rental is running smoothly and that you're doing um, that you've got the business infrastructure for, for clients, right? They want monthly reports. They want, um, you know, they need to see receipts. If we are buying things, they need to see basic, basic things that are different than when you're managing your own. So that took us a while, right? And it wasn't until probably about nine months in when we started to hit real growth and we've been growing a lot since that point where we were still in that kind of five to 10 properties. So very small. And then all of a sudden we just shot up to 20, 20 hit 30. And now we're all the way almost to 50. And that happened in, I, I kid you not, probably three to four months. And, and you mentioned infrastructure. Um, talk, talk to me, you know, how, how big is your operation? How many employees do you have? You know, how do you think about capacity planning for cleaners or do you have an operations person? How big is your team? Yeah, so we have been pretty small and intend to be a, a tight knit team moving forward um, as long as we can. Um, right now, we've got uh, about a dozen cleaners um, that we we keep pretty full time. They're all um, contractors, and we also have some contractor uh, landscapers and pool guys. Uh, along with some other handymen and things um, that we keep pretty busy. Uh, other than that, just in-house staff, we've got just a couple of people. So me, my admin assistant, uh, and then we've got another helping hands that's able to do a lot of the um, in-between on-site um, things that we need to pr prepare for guests. So with that team, we've been able to scale uh, to just about 50. And I think that we are going to be able to probably keep this same size for maybe another 20 to 30 properties before we probably need to bring on another, um, some, uh, some new office hands. Just a couple of questions just to try to understand some of the scope. Cause it's like you said, it's different being an owner than, you know, a manager. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, as far as you know, kind of the scope of work, how, where do you where do you guys advertise? Because I imagine you manage all the listings. Is that correct? Um, you mean as a company? As a no, do you manage all the listings on OTAs? Do you do direct bookings? Is it just Airbnb? Mm. Uh, and is it is it you gotcha. that up and does those, or do you put that on the owners to do that? No, we definitely manage the listings, uh, the listing profile, 
updating all the details. Um, and then we have a property management system that yep. congregates them all. Yep. Uh, so that we all do in-house. Um, it's, it's very hands-off. The owners just see a dashboard with a calendar uh, and then their payouts. Um, so they still keep a, a good pulse on what's going on. Um, you know, they're able to see how the calendar is booking out. Um, if they want to block it off, obviously they can use it or, or allow friends to use it. They can do private bookings and give their friends and family discounts if they still want them to pay. So we keep that level of involvement for the, uh, for the clients. But other than that, we handle everything else. And what channels do you book on? We do 99% of our business through Airbnb and VRBO. Okay. And then what's your property management software that you use? We use Hostfully. Okay. And how's your experience been with them? It's been really good. Um, we did the first nine or so months on Guesty. And I don't have terrible things to say about Guesty, but we have had a much more productive experience on the Hostfully platform. Um, and then for a company like ours, it's also a lot more, um, it, there's a much more cost benefits to being on Hostfully because they do a pricing tier, whereas Guesty does a per property. And I think by the time we switched, we were paying somewhere around $1,500 a month to to Guesty to do pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I started on Guesty myself and switched for the same reason. And we switched to Hospitable. Mm, um, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so tell me a little bit, like, tell me a little bit about, you know, because I think it's an interesting conversation for, for people out there listening. Like, tell me a little bit about Hostfully. What are some of the pros and cons of your experience with them? Because that's, I mean, it's a big choice, you know, as you know, you know, you kind of, um, I like to say in skiing, you know, you, you, you date your skis, you marry your ski boots, Let's right? Go. Like go back. <laughs> property go. management software is a bit of a marriage, you know, like it's a yeah. lot, there's a lot of setup, you know, as you know, and, and once you get to scale on unit size, it's like, man, the idea of switching 50 units to another software could be quite daunting. Um, and not that it's not impossible to do, but you know, obviously you get you get you get pretty pop committed at, cer at a certain point. So, so tell me a little bit about Hostfully and, and yeah, what you like, what you don't like, things like that. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with that more. This is you've got some great maxims. Um, I like that <laughs> expression, and Rolling! it is. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to short term rentals, so I love this uh, this industry. It's a it's a really cool industry because it needs businesses like ours that offer professionalism to to owners to bring some of that um, technology to to the experience and for us uh hostfully has done a great job of that um they all do very similar things right uh, but they integrate deeply into your business they are in some way the core of what uh, everything runs on so to make the switch is it is, you know, kind of like getting out of one marriage and into another one. And you have to make a lot of adjustments, do a lot of, make sure that everything transfers correctly. And that can be a little bit daunting, but we, we decided that it was worth making the change. Um, 
you know, when things start to go wrong, uh, it's best to get out quickly. And we saw that some, it wasn't going to be scalable for us. And also they just did not have good, uh, technical support. They're not uh, Guesty is not a us based company whereas I believe hostfully is, or at least their technical technical support is. So we get great technical support from hostfully, especially for the number of properties that we have on their platform. Uh, we get, almost instantaneous responses from them. Anytime we have questions, uh, we've got white glove support. And for us, we're also able to integrate into some of the other platforms that we use. So, you know, one of the great models of today for a, a small business or a, a technology oriented business is the ability to do tech stacks. Um, and anytime you have a, a another company that you want to use or integrate with, you need to have that capability. And we were able to do that really well with Hostfully as well. You mentioned the other software. Um, what, what What's your entire software stack that you use? What are the other subscriptions you utilize? Um, so Price Labs is our pricing platform. And, um, you know, I've heard a lot of other uh, uh Platforms do good things, but we've had good experience with Price Labs. They also do good comps. Anytime we have a, a a prospect or a client who wants maybe some market data on their property, maybe they're thinking about purchasing a new one, um, we're able to do that right there through Price Labs. Um, but they integrate with us uh, really well. And then um, another big one. And if you happen to own a property management company like this, or or maybe are are using a uh, an integration tool like Guestier or Hostfully, it's important to know that they don't all integrate into VRBO the same. And if you get a lot of VRBO bookings, mm -hmm. then you might want to look carefully at how VRBO integrates into your uh, property management software. Because uh, with, with Guesty, it was pretty difficult for us to integrate. And we ended up having to actually do everything manually on our VRBO listings. But then when we converted over to Hostfully, uh, they made that integration much more simple for us. And um, they, they also had um, a sign-on process that was easier for Airbnb where that made the integration uh, more seamless for us there as well. So that was probably one of the biggest uh, technological um, benefits that we had with jumping platforms. But uh, other than that, uh, we do all of our private bookings through them as well. And they've got a great property website. So anytime our clients wanna see their property website, uh, we just have to send them a link and it looks great. It's well polished. Um, we can link it right to our website uh, with a custom domain. So, um, you know, when you're when you're scaling a business um, and you want to cut down on costs, it's really important to look um, to give that level of professionalism even on the website, right? Even when people are trying to sign in to see their property calendar, you want to have some of those um, those benefits and those features um, so that when people are looking around and maybe weighing out the competition, they see that exactly what they're going to get with you right away. Any more questions about systems? Um, tell me something you don't like about Hostfully. Mm. What doesn't work well? What's frustrating? What do you wish they had that they don't have? 
Yeah. Um, the biggest thing would be coordinating with the, with cleaners. So being able to coordinate with your cleaners, um, as you guys know, it can get pretty frustrating if, if you have a lot of turnovers, a lot of properties, um, you want to, you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And, um, I wish that they had, um, a simple way of just even like texting, uh, SMS messaging to the cleaners, uh, for, for next day check-ins or something like that. They do have a calendar, which is pretty good if you are able to navigate an iPhone easily, but if you have any trouble with that uh, or don't have great vision because the text is small, then our cleaners have a hard time seeing what cleans are on the calendar. And that can be a little bit challenging for us. So we do have a manual process uh, right now for notifying our cleaners of next day cleans, even though they can see the calendar. So I wish that they had a little bit of a better system for that. Um, so their do, workaround you, is... You do your cleaning process in, in inside your PMS as opposed to you don't use like an outside tech software like Turno or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Turno, um, they actually have a uh, this is pretty cool, actually. I'll, I'll mention this, that hopefully just integrated with or I should say partnered with Turno. So now if you sign up for hopefully you get a free Turno account indefinitely. So. That is something that we do um, have synced, but we don't love Turno. Um, there's like way too many um, tabs and things for what we need our cleaners to see. So we we tried giving them access through Turno and uh, it just, it was too much, too many reminders and they have to confirm every time there's a clean and things like that. So. I almost want it to be simpler. I, I just don't need as much as they're offering through the Turno partnership. Uh, I just need something very simple. So that's the only maybe thing that I would say. Um, that being said, you know, it is really important to have good communication with your cleaners, regardless if you have good technology. So we don't want them to be totally signed off, um, you know, with us anyway. We, we want to have that ongoing communication. Um, out, out of curiosity, are you... Is in your portfolio, do you have um, properties that have multiple doors on them? So ADUs uh, and primary houses or and, and also part of that question is, do you manage short, mid and long term for your clients or just one of those? Uh, we don't manage long term right now. We're strictly short term. Um, and then as for multiple doors, are, do you mean having multiple units that rent separately? Yes. Yeah. So, so for example, we're in one of Christian's properties right now. The primary house is short term and the ADU that we're in now is a studio and it's a, it's a long term 30 day, 30 day plus midterm midterm. Mm. Got it. Um, actually we have them all listed as short term. Um, however, a couple of the properties do have separate units. Um, so it's pretty common to have a casita, as you know, that people can rent yep. separately. Um, mm -hmm. And then we essentially have like child listings implemented. So if a property has two or more units, then we can also give the option where they can rent them all if they have a large group. 
and then book the calendar if it's available. And then the calendar syncs accordingly. And we have a couple of properties to do that. Nice. Cool. Um, let's see. Next question. Any more thoughts around software? You're good. Um, so my, my next question, I mean, part of our, our tagline for booking confirmed is five-star business practices for short-term rental operators, right? That's kind of the, the slogan. Um, you, you described to us on our, our prep call last week or a week, week and a half ago, you know, your differentiator or one of your differentiators. I'd like, I'd love for you to describe what it, what is your differentiator? And, and you can go into the example you used last week, but, um, what have you seen as far as, you know, every, what is five star? It means something different to everyone based off your level of excellence and your standard of excellence and what you're going for. But um, what would you say are some of your five star business practices to share with the broader audience of short term rental operators? Oh, that's a great question. There's I feel like there's so many things uh, that can go wrong and, and you have to really be preemptive when when uh, a guest is checking in to make sure that they do have a great experience because five stars um, is everything in this. Anything less than five stars is a one star <laughs> in the Airbnb world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. They um, sometimes I, I feel like uh, guests don't realize it in their evaluation of their experience where they might say, oh, this was, you know, yeah, a couple things, you know, you know, we had to look, we had to look around for extra toilet paper. So I'm going to mark them down. And you're like, oh, you don't know how much that hurts. Right. Cause, yeah. um, if you're below a certain, uh, four point something rating, you're, you're just not going to get very many bookings. And I've, you know, I've kind of made the decision that if, if we have maybe a, a new listing, not do great for whatever reason, that it's worth just restarting that entire listing. That's how important I feel reviews are. So we do a lot to ensure that guests um, get a great experience and um, this is how we do it. So for one, when a guest um, you know, is, is, is checking in, we wanna make sure that they get all the information that they need right up front, including anything that might be unexpected right when they walk in. Sometimes this is a uh, in the in the check-in message, and sometimes it's a phone call. If we have something that maybe we know a guest is going to notice right away um, because of some uh, external situation that's going on, we will give them a call and give them a heads up. Hey, we know that the hot tub is not it is not as clear as it could be. Uh, pool guy will be there this evening, right? I just don't want them to have to notify us if there is something. So that catches a lot of problems just being preemptive. Um, so that's number one. And something else that we've done that helps us is we use another technology uh, that is a digital guest book that mounts on the wall of each of our properties, um, giving local recommendations, um, property details, that sort of thing. Um, really you, great company. Pay per unit for that, Bronson. Is it a subscription? Oh, Thirty-five. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a really great company. They're they're pretty young, and yeah, it's they're bad. called Guestview. You know, they like the product. I, I couldn't get pricing though on the website. Yeah. What What do you? I mean, I you, I probably imagine it's a scalable thing. Yeah. The more units you have, the better price you get. But for you with fifty units, you know, what's mm -hmm. your price per 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 um per pad? So. It is a 
per month subscription, like you said, and I believe right now their pricing is $39 a month per, per pad. And uh, they're doing a discount right now. I know that um, where uh, you get your first month free if you sign up and then uh, get a, you get a promo, code, discount. promo code Bronson. There you go. There you go. And uh, we need to get sponsored you guys on your yeah, podcast. Well, I mean, we're open to sponsorship for booking confirm. So, but, but <laughs> for, for, for the audience to paint a picture, it's, it's basically looks like a, a eight by or a picture frame, right? But, mm-hmm. uh, but imagine it's interactive. It's touch screen. It's technically a, a, a touch screen device, and it comes pre-programmed with a number of different features, including guest book, but also um, instruction manuals, any anything you want. What what all do you use it for the most? And do you actually see the results in the reviews that you're getting? You know, from this this touch. Definitely, I think it adds. Um... Uh, a little bit more of a uh, a service experience because so much of checking into to an Airbnb is you feel like you're just walking into a house where having something on the wall that's like differentiates a little bit of like somebody else's house that you're staying in and oh yeah this is like an experience is just having that that little box and it's so it's so nice it displays art when it's not being used and then and then you know we'll shut off but. It is um, essentially there to serve as the guest book and then also gives up-to-date things like weather. Um, you know, uh, it connects directly to Yelp. So it does local recommendations, which answers people's questions. It gives us, oh, and then the other thing that I really like is you can add services. It's not um, salesy at all. So it's not like when you're scrolling on this thing, you feel like they're trying to like, do extra revenue capture, right? It's not like, hey, did you need toothpaste? Because we'll give you toothpaste. It's not like that. But you can add services. You could say, hey, we've got some pretty awesome electric bikes that if you want to rent for $50 a day, you know, we'll come drop them off, right? And then they can do it right there uh, with their credit card information. Uh, Or, hey, do you, are you staying here for a, a couple weeks? You know, you might want a mid uh, a mid stay cleaning, right? We can offer maid service for a hundred dollars, and they'll come in, you know, change all the sheets and everything. It, so there's is certain. It, is it in, is it interfacing with your bookings? Uh, like, would would it know whether it's a three day stay or or a or a three week stay? It does. In fact, it pulls the guest name. So this is probably my favorite feature: is that right when you walk in, it says "Welcome" and then your name. So it'll, it'll greet you at the door. Um, and then it has the company name right beneath that, you know, Loma stay and a picture that you choose, usually a picture of the house. So you right there, you're asked to check in and everybody does either. It's either it's the little kid that runs up to it, right? Cause it looks like an iPad or, or the, the, the guest itself. And then the next thing it says is what was your initial check-in experience like? I kid you not, if they put a five out of five, I am most likely going to get a five-star review from them based upon that initial experience. If they put a four or, oh no, a three out of five, I call them. And it's almost annoyingly fast, right? So I want them to know that they're going to get feedback or, or a response from us if they need anything. So if they say, uh, it was a four out of four out of five. I call them immediately. Hey, how's it going? Um, just want to make sure you got in okay. 
Um, I, I noticed that you put a four out of five on your check-in experience. Did you need anything? Oh, yeah. no, no, no. It was just um, we couldn't figure out how to work the, the ceiling light. Oh, yeah, no problem. It's right there on the wall. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. And we correct that initial experience, which sets them up to have a great stay. And that was probably the biggest change that we've made. Such a subtle one, such a slight one. But if people feel right away like they're having a good experience and you put that that thought in their head, oh, yeah, this is a great time. Oh, yeah, the house does have everything we need. Then they're most likely going to carry that through their stay. I, I like it just from a, a, a systematic reverse engineering standpoint of you're putting a feedback loop uh, ahead of your review. And, and yeah. so you can correct it and, and increase your odds of a positive experience, which I think is brilliant. And it's detached from their Airbnb rating, um, mm -hmm. aggregate both of them separately. I think it's, it's, it's genius. And, and I don't know if you've done the, the, you know, the payout, but it's probably worth more to you than $39 a month to have that data feed coming through per, per stay. So, um, yeah. very cool. Do you have a way where you, um, like in order to check in, do they have to put their email in? So you're mining email addresses in the process. We haven't done something to mine email addresses. Um, we do get all of their contact information, name, phone number, through our management software. And that goes into a nice CRM that they have, but it doesn't do email because Airbnb obviously gives you a fake email. Um, mm. And then we've thought about it, maybe just to stay in contact with people. Um, but for now it doesn't do anything like that. Does, does it do like a photo booth thing, like along with the guest book where you, they'd like take a picture and you can email them? Because I think kids would get a kick out of that. Because like, it's like think at a wedding, right? The guest book at a wedding and they have the Polaroid there and like it's a thing. I'm oh, yeah, thinking, that would be really cool. I'm just I thinking, you know, I'm an idea guy, Ron. So I'm an idea guy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I would even say like uh, if they if they threw a camera on that, that you could set it up in front of the iconic photo wall right that, that every yeah. airbnb has yeah. nowadays and that way people might share it a little bit more that's a great idea all right well that's that is interesting um i, I had a off the wall idea just because you have a portfolio of properties that are not yours and you happen mm -hmm. to be a real estate agent do you have you ever heard this idea of creating a marketplace for your portfolio owners that if they want to sell as I, my first thought is I wonder if Bronson's representing any of his property management owners if they wanted to sell their house. And then my thought immediately went to, well, I wonder if Bronson would be the broker of a sale between one of his Airbnb property owners to another because he happens to have a lot of them. I don't know anything about your proper your prop your prop tech or your 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 software, your SaaS entrepreneurial efforts, but out of curiosity. You have a, a cap. You have a, a mark. What well, you have? You have a captive audience, and they're paying you money to manage their properties. And you also have your real estate license. I'm sure is still active. Have you ever brokered your own facilitation of a sale of, of one of your your properties that you manage that people want, might want to offload it? You know that's really funny that you would ask that uh, because two days ago um, I sent out a a message to my clients asking them if they had properties that they were interested in selling or either buying. And I got feedback immediately. And it was, 
it was an, a similar thing where I had somebody calling asking for an Airbnb they wanted to purchase in the area. And I thought, you know, I'm sure some of my clients are, are uh, have other properties right now that they might want to sell as Airbnbs or, or maybe yeah. even the ones that they're using. So I asked them and I got six immediately. Like, hey, these are, these are ones that we're finishing up. Um, we're, you know, either going to give, you know, to you, to you guys to manage, or we'd be interested in selling them. Um, and I asked them, you know, Hey, would, you know, would it be all right if I put these on the website, maybe to just attract any interested buyers? So it yeah. was this conversation two days ago. It's so funny. You bring that up where now people are, are selling Airbnbs in a very specific way because they're, they're furnished, but they're furnished as Airbnbs. And yeah. people want to buy them like that, right? That they're not selling houses, which we talk about a lot. And um, I, I mean, one of the hardest parts in business in a go-to-market strategy is have enough market intel, which you do, and understand who your ideal customer profile is or your ideal customer fit. And if they're current Airbnb owners now, you you have a community of them. And so you you, you have a lot of, product market fit you have, you're managing their product and you know other people that are like them so it just makes a lot of sense for me to create a marketplace for people that it's not really flipping but it is flipping it's flipping airbnbs in a way so there you go mm. i love that yeah, um, that's a fantastic idea so i mean we're, we're about an hour in which is cool um i uh, tell us a little bit about prop tech what is prop tech uh as an industry, the only the only thing I know about prop tech is the tokenization of real estate with blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. And there's a company called Proppy, but that's my only my only thing that I know about prop tech. What if you could define prop tech for the audience, and then if there's categories to segment out your your you know segment of prop tech, and then share a little bit about what you're doing in prop tech. Awesome. Yes, I love. Uh, I love that topic. Um, so prop tech is property technology, right? So it's any tech tools that real estate experts use to optimize the way that they buy, sell, uh, or manage a property, right? Um, so it's, it's a broad catch all for real estate technology, um, that came around. It's, it's not super old. It started really kind of getting, uh, used pre-COVID, um, along with kind of um, fintech. So fintech is more financial technology, uh, which um, seems to share ground with property technology. Um, but you think of real estate as this, um, it's a huge industry that has not seen a lot of innovation in, like other industries have, let's say. So, uh, we have a lot of transactions uh, with uh, with many different types of middlemen in any real estate transaction, right? Uh, we are on the property management side of things, but that's just one small, small piece of what goes on in these uh, large real estate deals where you have agents, uh, buyer, seller agents, you have um, transaction coordinators, uh, you have loan officers, title agents, right? All of these people doing um, a lot of paperwork and things in manual 
uh, ways. Actually, it's funny. I say manual, but really I'm, I'm referring to email. Uh, a lot of these, the way of doing things right now still takes place over email. Um, and that's a very outdated tool to be using when so much of this industry, I think, is going to be automated over the next uh, the next few years. I think that probably over the next five or 10 years, we're going to see a transformation in real estate with some of these uh, these technology tools that have been implemented in other industries, but haven't seen the same level of innovation yet in, in real estate. And I think there's some good reasons for that, but that's essentially what PropTech is and what it's designed to do. Um, so technically speaking, some of these tools that we use are PropTech, um, but really I like to think of PropTech as uh, large industrial size innovations that, that can accelerate the industry and allow new people to enter into it. And so what, what gap, I mean, cause we, you know, we can't solve, you know, you can't dilute the ocean. There's another maxim for you. You know, you had to pick a lane as far as prop tech goes. What, what uh, problem did you see was, was big enough and that you had a unique advantage to solve for what problem are you solving with, with, uh, with your new idea? Uh, so with Lomaste. Well, I don't, I don't know if your prop tech is Lomaste or if it's something oh. else. So, well, in terms of what problem I think, uh, is big enough to solve right now, it would be, it would be, uh, twofold. So I think the two biggest problems right now in real estate is the funnel for new buyers, which is uh, making real estate out of reach for a lot of people. This new generation coming in is uh, not used to doing things uh, the way that they're being done right now, which is 30 to 45 days to close. Nothing takes that long, right? But if you want to buy a house, then it's going to be 30 to 45 days and you don't even know the final price until right before, right? Nothing works that way. Buying a car doesn't exactly work that way. Um, nothing in my life works that way. So why does, you know, buying a house seem so uh, like this huge obstacle that I have to overcome to, to achieve, right? And a lot of that could be changed with technology, right? I think that there should be a simplified, uh, uh, less intimidating buyer process for the new generation. Almost baby it, baby it down a little bit, right? Because it's so intimidating. That's a big problem that I think uh, we could see um, solved. And then uh, the other side of that is... Um, well, I think that that's the main one. <laughs> I think that's the biggest one is, is this new generation is, is seems off put by the way that things are currently, currently being done. And I think technology could be a big tool in solving that and making it more appealing to people. Yeah. Uh, another, another factor we talked about is access to capital and then, you know, how to structure deals and, uh, and a lot of these middleman steps uh, that if you just have a willing buyer and a willing seller, and some honest conversation um, that a lot of these things could be figured out mm. yourself, like you figured it out yourself, right? Um, so, so yeah, so that that that's cool. Um, 
I guess. Well, we'll on that really quick, uh, before yeah. we, we move on to another thing, I, I just, I, I want to add on to what you said. I think that that is probably the other, another great area is that so much of real estate is done with, uh, needless middlemen, right? Brokers, broker being, um, being a third party involved in making a transaction happen. There's too many brokers. There's too many people in the middle of uh, Mr. Seller and Mr. Buyer or, or, you know, Mrs. Seller and Mrs. Buyer. Right. Oh, and then you're about to piss a lot of people off, bro. That's all right. Hey, it's yep, all right. That's all right. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is definitely yourself. true. You're calling out yourself. <laughs> call, call it a, a controversial opinion. I think that, that that's something that, people will be shocked by when when technology comes through and automates your job because as a real estate agent i am not necessary right i bring peace of mind i bring a, a fiduciary uh uh portion to the conversation right and and i i understand the role of it but is it necessary i i think that that's up for debate and the other question is is it worth the commission, because 6%, right, is a lot of money. That's a lot of ask for uh, for somebody who just, you know, decided to up and get their real estate license, right? I didn't have to go to college for it. It's not necessarily something that I think uh, people, people would want, even if they didn't need it. But I think that technology can come in and streamline a lot of that. What What would happen if you were if if the details around making a real estate transaction were seamless right they were gamified so that the steps were already laid out the pieces that needed to be negotiated could be tabled on the same platform and the finance piece was just wrapped up into what you were already doing where you knew you were getting the best rate because you were going with um you know they already searched for the best rate on the on the platform that you're using to help uh, streamline this process, right? And, and I think that once those tools start to become available to buyers, uh, that it'll start to replace some of these people over time. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's definitely. I mean, I mean that that is what technology does, right? You know, technology provides uh, an opportunity to decrease the workforce essentially to simplify, um, to minimize, to reduce cost, potentially. We have a, we have a question coming in from a, a listener uh, on this topic, Bronson, um, mm -hmm. about this idea of fractional real estate investing through companies uh, like, they're saying Arrive. I don't, I don't know about Arrive, but for any, any, any thoughts around fractional real estate from your perspective? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, what was the name of the company? Uh, it looks like on, on the, on the dial in, it's called arrived. Arrived. Um, okay. Yeah. So this is a great question. Um, it's almost a little too on the nose. So I think that, um, this is a great solution to, to the future of real estate. Fractional ownership gives, uh, lowers the bar of entry to first time home buyers, right? Um, the problem with fractional home ownership is that it is, um, 
the way that they're trying to do it right now, including this company, is they're trying to do it in one of two ways. One, by uh, piecing up real estate and, and looking at it solely from a, uh, a value perspective, right? Where you can own one one thousandth of the Empire State Building, okay? Well, that model, they've tried to do this uh, in a lot of different forms, right? Where you try to tokenize real estate, okay? I don't like that definition of fractional. Um, but what you, what you can do is you can include the utility piece of real estate, right? Because real estate is not just owned, but it's used, it's lived in, it's, it's a residential, it, it has residential rights attached with the ownership. So now you're seeing companies starting to do this fractional home ownership um, with vacation homes, okay, which, which is kind of the meeting of worlds here. Um, that is fine, but it's a small market, right? Where you can own one sixth of a vacation rental. That could work really well, um, but what you're what you're actually doing is you're providing a platform for fractional home ownership to exist, right? Where this can serve as a, you know, idealistically a marketplace for for transactions in the future, but it's also a place where you can come and get a utility for this investment that you're that you're taking, right? I see fractional home ownership as a solution to the affordable housing crisis right now. And I'm working on a concept right now uh, for a startup that we're in the seed uh, stages of uh, that will allow first time home buyers to participate in fractional ownership. And, and that's, a, that's a very interesting direction that I think PropTech uh, can come into play here. Yeah, it's a, uh, thank you listener for the, for the question. Um, yeah. Virtually, uh, we're, we're going to land the plane here shortly because I know that you're in a different time zone than we are. Um, but going back to, to short-term rental operation, because uh, short-term rental operation is also property management, right? Just not necessarily at the scale you're doing it. Any, any, other, any other thoughts, considerations, questions, challenges you've had to overcome, lessons learned uh, in, in your journey uh, going from a, an entrepreneur to a homeowner to a multiple homeowner to a property manager? Um, that you want to share that come to mind for the audience? Um, hard lessons learned. Um, you know, I think it's really important to do your due diligence on any deal. Um, definitely had to, to learn what things matter um, on a transaction to make sure that you're not going to get burned by it. Um, and then also who you do business with. Um, it's, it's very important to build relationships and relationships that with people that you can trust. So I think that finding like-minded people, uh, people with a good moral compass that, um, you know, want to do multiple deals with you, not, not just this one. Right. Um, I think that that's really important, especially for, you know, me and where I'm at, um, you know, I'm still very young and, and trying to build that network. And I know that I'm going to run into these people uh, multiple times over my career. So I want to, I want to build those relationships early. And I think that if you start to get a bad feeling with someone, it's, it's best to get out of business with them. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been a couple of times where I've had to learn that the hard way too, or staying, maybe staying in something a little longer than I should have. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point there, Bronson. It's just great. It's a really good tip for anybody involved. I mean, really in any industry, but particularly in real estate, um, you know, even in a big city like you're in, in, in uh, you know, the Phoenix area, the real estate community is pretty tight, you know, everywhere. And so mm-hmm. people know what's going on there. You know, there is a lot of overlap you know, from, you know, builders to lenders to real estate agents to developers, investors. You know, people, if if you're in the industry and you're working quite a bit, you know, people start to get to know you um, and hear about Mm -hmm. you and you get to know them and you've got subs working for you, you hire people. And the way that you come off, the way that you operate Mm -hmm. is going to go a long way. And who's going to be willing to work with you long term? who's going to want to um, work with you long-term. Um, and if you're going to have any history or long-term traction in this business and not end up as, you know, kind of just a solo, you know, operator out there on your own, um, which, you know, there are people like that. Um, you know, it, it's a really important thing to think about um, and to think about. It's not just about this deal. It's not just about extracting everything possible from an individual deal, but making situations, win-win situations, you know, you know, and we all have these challenges, right? Like I'm trying to keep my remodel project, you know, it's to the lowest budget as possible, but I also don't want to grind my subs into the ground and be like, you know, grind them into the ground where they're like, dude, why am I even working for this guy? He just keeps negotiating me down. I'm not making enough money. I'm going to go find somebody else. And then I lose that sub, you know? That's just not a win-win situation for everybody. And so it's, it is one of those things where it's like, you know, like the good Lord says, treat others the way you want to be treated. Most, most problems are character problems. There's another maxim for you. All right. So, I mean, and I your, reputation, your reputation matters, right? Reputation precedes you. It, it talk, we, yes. we, talk, we talk about the difference between having an investor versus having a partner in a deal and access to capital. Um, have you done any partner deals going going in, and have you managed your own remodels, Bronson? Mm, great question. Um, yeah, you know, when you get into maybe getting financing or working with hard money, um, that can also, you know, you got to make sure you're doing your numbers really well. Um, yes, I have, and and I think that it it goes back to the same thing as like working with people that you know you want to be in business with that. Um, it should feel, I think, like if if this goes well, then we can do even more after this, right? If this is going to be just a one-off thing, you know, then it then it really, um, I think the uh, reputation is what matters most. But if you have a chance of of working with somebody in the future, or you may, you know, it may come back around to do another deal with this person, then like making it work for everybody, I think is, is great. And I'm at the stage right now where it's really important for me to, um, to make sure that the person on the other end of the deal is walking away, uh, feeling rewarded, not like they took advantage of me, right? That's a very clear difference, but feeling like, Hey, if I do business with this guy, then, uh, you know, you know, he does good business. He does clean business. That's the kind of feeling that I want to leave people with. So whether I'm borrowing money from them or, um, you know, partnering with them on something, uh, I want to make sure that I'm going to, I'm going to keep things above table and that they feel like I'm going to also hold them accountable. Right. Uh, and, and, and make sure that I'm building that over time. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about 
the difference between just property management and experience management, but you're, you're always selling yourself all the time. And so in the connections and networking that you do, uh, there's a maxim that are, you know, we, we hear as well, your, your network is your net worth. There's another maxim for the episode. We should do a tally as we re-listen to this thing. It'd be so good. Uh, dance with the girl that brought you. That's right. Dance with the girl that brought you. That's right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, what, it, what's the difference in your mind, this idea of, you know, cause you're technically in the experience business, right? We're in the mm -hmm. experience business, uh, creating a good experience, not just with our, our renters, but with our, our investors, with our, with our cleaners, with all of it, right? Do they, do they like the feeling that they get when, when they get a text or a call from us and where our name shows up on their phone, are they quick to pick it up knowing that there's going to be value on the other line or there's going to be a gen on the line? Talk to us about how you think about experience management. Mm. I love the experience part of, of short-term rentals for that reason that you are people are creating memories in, in all of the hard work that you're doing. Right. And, and they're there for more than just, you know, uh, just for their stay or just to put a house over or a roof over their head. It's, it's to create memories. And so I think that, um, being able to stay, uh, rigid enough to, to stay on top of the numbers, but also flexible enough to to be able to stay on top of the approach. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I've seen people almost dive too hard into what they think is the best way of doing things, but they do it, they go about it the wrong way and that can ruin the experience for everyone. So uh, there's times where um, maybe I feel that we should be doing things a certain way, or I feel like things will work the best if, if we do X instead of Y, but if I'm, if I'm not working it along the lines of the way that this relationship is with this person, then I may, I may be maybe making the wrong um, experience. Right. And so I think that it's at the end of the day, working with people and a lot of what steers your success in life is your ability to work with people. And that is very much an introspective thing that um, it's most likely uh, there's some kind of uh, character improvement that you could maybe work on yourself uh, if you're not getting along with another person. You're not going to get along with everyone, but I'm saying yeah. that if you are constantly working on yourself and taking accountability for the outcomes of things, that you will you will be measurably improving your performance with other people, especially sometimes the most difficult people are the people that you're going to have to work with in order to achieve whatever desired result. Yeah, it's good. It's good advice. All right, my friend. Well, we're going to let you go. Um, but before we do, if people want to visit the Phoenix area, where can they find your stuff? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure and I love your guys's, uh, you guys's topics. They're super interesting to me. So thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, if you are interested in coming to Arizona, uh, the greater Phoenix area, you can find us at lomastay.com, L-O-M-A-S-T-A-Y. My name's Bronson Hickson. You can find me on uh, all of my socials uh, under my name. And I really appreciate you guys. Uh, you guys right, time. Well, yeah, we look forward to having you on the future and getting an update about your success. Sounds great. Thank you so Thanks, much. Bronson. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thank All you. Right, you All right. Bye. 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 All right.
Yeah, let's let's debrief a little bit. Sure. Yeah, let's go. I, I like him. He he he's a he's a go getter, um, and he's obviously been successful at at a, at a very high rate. Um, and so love love what he had to share and his story. Um, I wish I was I wish I was where he was at twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> living vicariously no you're gonna beat yourself up no i'm not gonna beat myself up there's a lot to learn there's a lot to learn there's a lot that i think that we can you know our audience can glean um because i think it's brilliant how he got into his first investment was brilliant Um, oh yeah i love that love that little strategy i mean that's such a good point you know we've talked about house hacking but he took he took house hacking purchase hacking finance hacked yeah is what he did yeah he financed yeah he financed the hacked it that really cool you know strategy that um you know he employed there it's you know definitely re-listen to that part yeah you know if you're starting out or or interested in in getting a real estate license it's a great way to to purchase properties and get a kickback and and it is interesting the idea of where technology meets real estate even though it's not squarely in short-term rental operating like staying with the developments of the industry especially how to acquire property and how to know property how to list property like I think it's going to be important to know if, as we, as we continue to build out systems and processes. Oh, totally. It's a super fluid business. There's so many, uh, just in, in short-term rentals, which is obviously what this podcast is about. There is so many software companies mm-hmm. and there's so many developing and there's winners and there's losers. And, and, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, I use a lot of the companies that Bronson was talking about and a bunch of others and, and we're, you know, you know, as you get to know these, there's one, they're all slightly different. Some do things better than others. Some integrate better than others. Some have better functionality and, and, and it's being sorted out right now yeah. and there's new ones coming. And so there's still space in there. I mean, we've even talked about it ourselves. I'm, I'm not developing an app, but we're like, you know what? I think we could develop a better app than what's out there for this specific niche in the industry. Yeah. You know, just cause when you're in it mm-hmm. and you're in it every day, yeah. you see what you need. You know, you see what you want. You heard him talking about Turno, and I agree. Turno is a really cool company. I think they do some really good work, but there is some stuff with their app that it's like leaves you to be wanting yeah. a, a bit and maybe want your own little different experience. Yep. And and that's when somebody does get the itch and is like, well, dude, I'm going to create this. You know. Well, the, it's interesting having a property manager on the podcast when you and I don't necessarily. Uh, we, we're not going to outsource the management of our properties, right? But having his perspective, plus he manages his own properties, is is, in, is interesting, right? It's an interesting thing that um, this is why you're not going to know, you're not going to become a deep domain expert if you're not managing, if you're not in it, it and which is ultimately the goal. How do we use short-term rental operation to free up our time and live the life that we want to live, right? To create your own lifestyle business through real estate and short-term rental operating, what we're what we're you're talking about what what Bronson's talking about is he's he's flooded his subconscious his conscious mind every day of his life by trying to figure out these very minute specific problems that are not one offs they're actually patterns and trends that you wouldn't know unless you have multiple listings and doing starting to scale out the business the more data you have the more you can quantify it and do is there a big enough market to go solve this problem with. Yeah, and there's there's different ways as as you're here today to be in the industry, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can do which which Bronson right now he doesn't have properties, 
that he owns. I think, I think he has. I think he has. No, he sold them. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So he doesn't have short-term rentals that he owns anymore. He manages. I think he has about fifty. Yeah. So he's a property manager. He's a, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you heard the other side of the spectrum: his clients, yep. who are basically real estate short-term rental developers, investors. Yeah. In, yeah. Investors, yeah. and Mike maybe they're just investors' money, and then they hire contractors. But some of them may be builders, yep. flippers. Yep. You know, kind of. Um, you know, you know, self, self-managed mm-hmm. contractors, um, you know, so, so people, you know, maybe they just buy properties that are kind of already put together and they just stage them. They're yep. more designer folks. Yep. You know, so these are folks that are, have chosen to go the route of hiring Bronson yeah. um, to manage the properties. So they're in the short-term rental game, but they're not in, they're not really in it at yeah, all yeah. in yep. terms of management. Um, and, and really what it is, is the management piece. Yep. Cause if you're just on the, as an investor, yeah. sure. You might be a short-term rental investor, mm-hmm. but you're really not involved in any of these little details. Yeah. The owner operator. And then there's the own, and then there's the owner operator, mm-hmm. which is, which is what we do, Yeah. which is the full scale, Yep. you know, and at any given point, you know, I may be dealing with, you know, property software, but I also might be dealing with marketing. Yeah. You know, which is a whole different thing that Bronson doesn't really do. For sure. Because he's not doing that component yeah. of the business. But then I'm also dealing with buying a property yep. and remodeling, which is another thing that he doesn't do. You yeah. know? So it, it just depends on, on which parts of this you want to take on, you know, how much time you have, yep. which is this a side thing for you mm-hmm. or yeah. is this an all in thing? And if it's your first one and you've got time, yeah. you know, to kind of do it at the beginning and just kind of like limp a house along. Yep. Um, you know, that's another option as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are, there are projects I'm thinking of that it took me two years to get my ADU done at my own house and, but it wasn't a priority for me. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a priority. I wanted it done, but I didn't want it done bad enough to sacrifice time and more money to get it done faster. Well, that was ridiculous. That was, it was a little ridiculous. That's a whole other story. <laughs> it's a whole other story, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting to, to see this idea, um, that becoming a property property manager or short-term rental operator, it means that you, you dabble in a lot of different disciplines of business, sure. customer relations, product marketing, product roadmap, all that stuff. One of the things that he, we didn't talk about that we talked about on our prep call is the spot check, the proactive spot check mm. uh, between cleaners, which I thought was really interesting when he, when he did it. And I don't know if, I don't know if that's his hack uh, or, or just something, but at a very early stage of a company only being less than two years old, He's had to look, he has had to think proactively at how do I differentiate about, uh, next to these big property management firms? Because he's going, I'm sure he's going up against behemoths of companies that have a lot of, a lot of, uh, clients and a lot of houses. And the one thing he does even after his cleaners on top of his cleaners is he sends one of his own people by to do a spot check just to make sure. And, and yeah, quality, it, control. quality control. I mean, just, just you in this own space as we are recording, you got and swept. <laughs> web off of a ceiling because because you you know you see you see your own kids more than other people see them right you you know you know your own property and, and your own standard of excellence over and above you might have just hired really short cleaners that just didn't look up i don't know <laughs> i don't know but uh but yeah a lot of these they're they are hacks but they're also it doesn't take we said it before it doesn't take a lot to be excellent it doesn't take a lot to be above average, 10%, right? And, that, and, and a lot of things that he was talking about is, oh, wow, he found an angle and he found a way to differentiate himself, to stand apart, and he created a whole business around it, which is awesome. Any, any, any other thoughts from the episode? Anything stand out to you? 
No, I really enjoyed it. I think, um, yeah, I think it was great, you know, having another voice, yeah. you know, on the podcast and somebody who's in the industry in a different capacity, mm-hmm. um, you know, having him who is a property manager, you know, and, and even a property manager in a bigger city, you know, in the Phoenix area. And, and you're right. He is going against the big, you know, Vacasas of the world that are these big companies and, and, and he's had to differentiate himself and try to solve a problem to be more hands-on yeah, and more white glove, you know, to his clients. And, and I mean, he's, he's charging a very reasonable rate yeah, um, to do that. Um, I think this, I think is that his, his vantage point that is a manager and also a real estate agent. Like, I mean, if he had a his broker's license, like he's just like, all right, I'm going to be all the middlemen and then take all the middlemen out. I'm like, Okay, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. He's learning he's learning the game from the inside, which is really cool. Yeah, and that's where you really do. I mean, I, I think the thing I've learned, like, you know, we even even where this podcast came from, yeah, is by living this mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Yep. I mean, it's it's I mean, you know you know this for yourself, audience. When you're in something and you're in it every day, you could just rap on that thing for hours. all day. You know, yeah. you could just go on topic after topic mm-hmm. after topic about whatever that is. If if you're in electricity or if you're in plumbing or yep. if you're in, you know, marketing, right? Yeah. Like you could just go down the rabbit hole and, and probably put hours of content out there if you so chose. Yep. I mean, that's what it's like for us here. Oh, yeah. You know, because you're in it. I'm in it this so much. You, you learn a ton. We do. You know, by that exposure and you're just always exposed to new things and new ideas and new challenges and you have to come up with new solutions yep. and it's always evolving. And, and so I think it's really interesting to, you know, to hear, I mean, for me often, I don't know if you heard me in the pod, I'm, I'm trying to get beta yeah. out of him. I'm oh, like, yeah. tell me about hostfully. Totally. Bro. Yeah, yeah, like, I, sure. I like it. Cause I haven't used hostfully and I'm like, I want to know if this thing is, is a good one or not. If you can, uh, we may need to change our property management system. If, if you can better your hand, I'm going to do it. Right. If, if I can better my hand, I want to know my options and see what that is. Right. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's cool. Um, and we also, we don't want to go too deep in the weeds. You know, we've all listened to new podcasts and we're like, all right, I'll give it an episode or I'll give it two episodes to see if I like those guys or those girls, if I like the content and, you know, this is for somewhat, you know, people trying to get in the short-term rental game. Usually that's people in their late 20s or 30s. But we, we also want feedback on topics, right? On what, what's actually worth our your time, audience, to talk about. We think it's interesting, but we, we're, we've been in the weeds for so many years dealing with it, too. What, what's interesting to us is, as, you know, people in it, people, you know, that are starting out might think something else. They, we might have vibed with, with Bronson, which we hope you did, by the way. We hope if you, you like the style, I wish I would have had that finance hack when I bought my first house. I just didn't think about yeah. it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was a, it was a little more of a serious conversation today. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, a, a lot more nuts and bolts. Less whiskey or tequila. There was no whiskey, unfortunately. We'll make up for it. <laughs> next time we're gonna have to have fun next time yeah um but yeah that was fun and and uh yeah it was great and we've got some more ideas for new ones but yeah yeah bronson thanks again man uh appreciate you calling in appreciate you helping us figure out this uh call the call-in technology too you're our first one so thanks thanks everyone um we'll see you on the next one peace out bye